Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week we've been inspired to talk about good news that's um, happening at the moment around this uh, pandemic. And I think we were both inspired by the same story, Heather. The story of um, a pub in Belfast delivering pints of Guinness to its customers. Um, They're using a a state-of-the-art van kitted out with a portable tap system uh, so that they can pour out a fresh pint of Guinness as they do their route. It's like an ice cream van, actually, (laughs) but with Guinness. It's genius, isn't it? Yeah. You just open the back doors and there it is. There's the tap. (laughs) Absolutely lovely idea, yeah. And there was, there's a picture. There's a picture of a guy in his, I think, in his nineties, having a pint delivered to his house, and he he looks, he does look like a kid that an ice cream van has just pulled up. So uh, looks absolutely uh, delighted. I yeah. saw that article in the Irish Post. Um, so if you want to go and read that info, go to irishpost.com. And uh, yes, equally inspiring. Um, there's there's all sorts of other news about. Um, um, art artists authors everybody involved in the creative world are coming up with not surprisingly creative ways to entertain the world or also to keep the money rolling in a little bit while they're uh, while we're in lockdown so personally i've been watching chester zoo um i've watched national theater live uh, the globe theater um I've, I've got myself booked into a number of events by authors that has been organised by local bookshop Booker in Oslo Street together oh, yeah. with three other bookshops, um, Lingham's Booksellers, Bookish and Forum Books. And they've Booker normally put on talks by authors as a way for authors to sell their books and, and, and to promote whatever it is that they've, um, they're selling at the time. And um, obviously, they haven't been able to do that recently, but they're doing them online, which at the moment, everything's online and it's working absolutely fine as as far as I can see. So I'm signed up for that. The first of which is Jack Monroe. She's talking on Monday, the 20th of April. But they've also got lined up Robert Wedd, Pete Perfides, Sebastian Barry, Ollie Ollerton and David Baldacci. So I think it's really rather exciting little development there what sort of things have you been uh, noticing Heather well predominantly I've noticed I've been looking at small businesses that are that are finding different ways to to operate um sticking with the pub theme I mean there's a there's a tap house brewery in Birmingham who started delivering cans to people's doors so they can have um, their favorite pint uh, a little arts and crafts centre in Codsall, one of those places you know where you take the kids and they decorate plates or um, oh yeah, you know, make stuff. So this obviously is completely me- messed up their their business model, and Mother's Day is normally a really busy time for them. But what they decided to do is that they you can pick up stuff, you can take it home and and do it, then you can bring it back for it to be put in the kiln. And then pick up at a later date. So it's just a way of, of finding a way to manage that process in a safe uh, social distancing way. Um, but that's been bringing in some money. And then one that I um, one that caught my eye is a local 
catering company at Wem in Shropshire, just up the road, and they do a lot of weddings, um, Common Bruce Catering. Uh, and of course, people's weddings are being postponed um, because you're only allowed five people, I think it is, including the registrar or the or the vicar um and but she said something really interesting she said that um she's just trying to keep afloat so she's doing deliveries of food ready meals and things like that she recognizes that she's never going to make a profit but she is literally just trying to keep keep things ticking over until she can trade normally again and i think that's the thing a lot of these businesses yes it's labor intensive yes their profit margins will have gone down because you know it, it all takes longer and it all takes hard and um, takes more work but if it's if it's keeping some cash flow then it's it, it you know ultimately it's a really good thing for the business um i think um, one of the things i've noticed is and um, because a lot of organizations are giving stuff away for free that said, um, like, for example, National Theatre and Globe Theatre, they're, they're giving away their streaming for free. However, mm -hmm. I, I felt like I wanted to make a donation. So I did actually send some money over to them. But I think that is putting pressure on some of the smaller businesses who are needing to charge. To, mm -hmm. You know, so they, they start to look, look um, ruthless. And I don't believe they are. You know, a lot of them, are, like you say, are, are using this time um to regroup and and actually try and find a way to tick over they still need some money coming in so they can't offer everything for free or reduced prices no and i think that certainly for my business that's really you know that's really true and and i i feel guilty about pushing my coaching services which is the only bit of my business that i can conduct because i can't do the training uh, because you do feel like you're um that you're exploiting a situation having a captive audience stuck at home okay yeah why not have some coaching but uh, but but it, you know it, it is it, it's all i've got to be able to to maintain my business and and i was i was thinking this week you know why do i feel guilty about that because sainsbury's don't feel guilty about still trading um these little shops you know that are delivering they don't feel guilty and nor should they so um it's a perspective thing isn't it i think yeah i think so i just wanted to give a mention to a, a couple of um community spirited organizations in in the area and there are plenty of them around um i know that roasty carpets at the moment are are not open and obviously their carpet fitters aren't um, fitting carpets in people's homes and i only know about this one because i live three doors away from one of the owners so forgive me if i you know there are lots of other organizations doing good stuff so what they're doing instead is they're offering their services to do um pickups and shopping collections giving people a lift helping people um who are needing a delivery network because they've got the vans and they've got the people available um and they, they've um obviously wanting to help the community but it also does it's it's almost like a way of marketing as well isn't it i'm not it not being good cynical work. about it but it, it's good pr for a business to do something mm. like that and mm. i'm sure that's not the sole reason that they're doing it but you know it, it's one of those things that makes you think good about the business um and cluedog school are actually working on a project at the moment where they're printing a 3d printing face shields 
um, and they're asking for donations so that they can purchase more materials and indeed more printers. They currently have 14 3D printers and but they can accommodate more and they've created this hub at the school and they're, they're asking for um, donations so for example an individual donation of £10 will purchase enough equipment to produce 20 face masks and these are the, the plastic solid plastic shields that go in front of their faces um, and an actual 3D printer if you wanted to help to that extent would cost £200 so they are asking for donations and you can donate through avow, avow.org we'll put the link on our blog um, but there's, there's things like that that are happening as well that people are, are finding ways to, to actually help that aren't necessarily their core business um, for example um, I think we might have mentioned this before, but some brewers are using the alcohol content in their, in their products to make hand sanitizer. Um, I've got to admit, um, I, I'm a fan of brew dog beers. I'm not so sure I would be as interested in their hand sanitizer as their beers, but it's really important <laughs> for certain people. Um, and then there's been some branching out by um, Mercedes Formula One and uh, University College London are actually working on making um an aid a breathing aid which reduces the need for a ventilator i don't know the details on it but they've been working on this thing because um, ventilators are, are quite uh, intrusive pieces of equipment uh, on the human body so they've been working on this other breathing aid and other companies that are, are needing to find something else to do at the moment rolls royce bea systems and ford they're all working on breathing aids for um the nhs as well so there's lots of interesting stuff happening from listening to authors at home to printing 3D face masks. And I'm, I'm <laughs> amazed that a 3D printer is only 200 quid. Isn't it good? I'm just, uh, that's, that's a whole thing that's moved on a pace and I haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, computers, you can carry them around in your hand now as well. No, you? you don't no. have a big room for a computer anymore. <laughs> you're kidding me you wow that's incredible <laughs> i did come across an article um that it's an old article from 1997 so it is very old but it's in harvard business review and it's about it's called to diversify or not to diversify now okay at the moment people are diversifying temporarily although certain elements I'm sure will be continued um, and not through choice but if you are interested in considering how as, as an active business model you could diversify or whether you should diversify I think it's an interesting read so I think I'll pop a, a link to it on our, our website which is the business.community. In other news this week um, we've got a couple of stories that we're going to have a look at but one um, caught your eye didn't it Tracy because it's got well it's on positive news and you were looking at positive news for something to jolly us up a little bit and it's about clowns yeah so in in one way it's jolly and in another way I'm slightly creeped out because I'm a um I wouldn't say I'm scared of clowns but I do find them a bit creepy but this is a not creepy story about clowns uh, this is a, an organization called clowns without borders and they've won the inaugural kindness award. 
Now, the Kindness Award is a new award that was founded by um, Simple, the skincare brand, in partnership with Positive News. And it's a way of bringing attention to organisations that are spreading kindness in the world. And this organisation, Clowns Without Borders, has won the first one and has received £7,000 donation to help them with their work. So what do you think about clowns, Heather? Well, I'm, um, I'm not afraid of them. Um, apparently, if you are afraid of them, it's called coolrophobia. C-O-U-L. R-O-P-H-O-B-I-A, coolrophobia. Okay. So that's what you suffer from. And I know it is a thing. Um, I don't mind them. Um, yeah, as, well, I suppose it's like anything. If if they ca if a clown came towards me with a, you know, a sharp <laughs> knife <laughs> or an axe, might change my view. But at the moment, not, not too it, bothered. It's not necessarily the clown you'd be afraid of there, is it? No. <laughs> so this organisation, however, no knives involved. No. Uh, they're, they're a group of professional artists who create shows specifically for children who are um, living through crisis. So, for example, they've been doing a lot of work in refugee camps. And the, the idea is to help the children to laugh and to dance and to play. Now, at the moment, they obviously they're not able to travel very far. So they're doing some live streaming of clown workshops for children. But I'm fairly certain adults can join in too if they want to. And so they can learn how to do their own clown shows at home. Yay! As yeah, if I that wasn't bad enough. <laughs> <laughs> spoken like a true parent <laughs> no i think it's lovely so what they're planning to do is to provide a clown activity or a trick every day and so that the children will be able to build up a repertoire of clown skills <laughs> to be fair some of the photos on on um, their website the clowns don't look scary you know they're not they haven't necessarily got painted faces like some of the more sinister clowns. So, um, I, yeah, I think it's a great thing. There's I think it's a, a great thing. I did look into Clowns Without Borders, and they are a UK-registered charity, registered in 2014. And apparently um, there is an international team of Clowns Without Borders. There are 14 other chapters, as they call them, and they all have the goal to bring joy to children living through crisis. So uh, no matter what I think about clowns, I think it's a great initiative. And it's nice to hear about the Kindness Award as well. I was looking at the um, I was looking at their website and looking at who they who they are um, and uh, their board of trustees. So they, they, their treasurer, it, it caught my eye because he runs his own accountancy practice called Bean Counters of Lewis Limited. <laughs> I like that. That's good. <laughs> when you want uh, your beans counted, you get the bean counted. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I suppose it's a charity, obviously. Um, it's it's not a it's not so much a business story as a as a, a newsworthy happy story and it also shows again we were talking about how to diversify they've brought their workshops online 
so that they can come into people's homes and, and still be doing some of the work that they they set out to do but yeah I, I liked it thanks thanks for sharing it it's fun so a not so fun news item um, I now refer you to the Office for National T Statistics website, which is often my go-to place for news items. And they've just started with a new report. They say it's going to be weekly and it's looking at indicators on opinions and lifestyle impacted by the coronavirus. So the first one I've seen was out on the 9th of April and presumably there is one live on the day that this show is aired on Callan FM, which is the 16th of April because that's a week after. Um, but uh, as we recorded this a couple of days in advance, I'm still working with the 9th of April one. Have you seen this report, Heather? I've, I've had a, a glance through it. I think I think what's interesting is that it, it I see it very much as a starting point and it will actually track um, people's opinions and, and the impact on, on, on a longer longer term scale. So I think it will be a really interesting body of work, um, if nothing else. But it's got some it's got some interesting statistics around um, how worried people are, um, how well people understand what's going on how often people are washing their hands um and how you know how coronavirus is impacted on people's plans in general um the perhaps the 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 um what am i trying to say the the, the response that <laughs> i don't know what i'm trying to say the response that was perhaps most shocking was uh, just over half of all adults said someone had offered to organise or bring food and other essentials if they need to self-isolate. Um, this percentage rose to 83.3% for those who are over 70, which it, that is great. But it actually got me thinking, I don't know who would bring me food if I had to self-isolate. I would, I, Heather. <laughs> So now you can put me down on your list. I'd bring you food. And wine. Well, yeah, and wine. Would you bring it for all the people that I do the shopping for, though? Oh, and now suddenly the job gets bigger. I know. So that that in itself was quite interesting. Anyway, what's caught your eye um, in the report, Tracy? Well, one thing I want to sort of agree with what you say about it will make an interesting body of work. I think it will form a fabulous bit of social history the sort of stuff that in previous crises like this we've relied on people's diaries to talk mm -hmm. about the social impact of of history so this is, is going to cover quite a lot of stuff that perhaps would make the mainstream news so i think it'll be really useful uh, the thing that caught my eye was this um one statement that said that almost all adults, almost all adults, that's 99.8%, said they had washed their hands with soap and water to avoid infection in the last seven days. I want to know about that 0.2% who haven't washed their hands in the last seven days. What have they been doing? <laughs> on earth you know you see almost all adults yeah that's that's really good but it's that last seven days oh, that yeah. really tripped me up oh, well well this one i it caught my eye um a lot of talk about stockpiling of shopping and how people have been um 
you know the toilet paper is the is the is the famous one um when when people were asked in the survey whether they had stockpiled only one in three adults said they'd purchased purchased extra supplies groceries and toiletries that's only one in three wow however nearly all respondents 98.5 percent said that they thought other people had purchased extra supplies of groceries and toiletries (laughs) (laughs) so so, i mean i I was in a supermarket and there were people stockpiling i go to that same supermarket every week i take an elderly neighbor shopping or i did and um it was much much busier and people were spending much much more money and that was everybody so I just I love it it's a bit like the you know the Brexit vote the election nobody nobody claimed nobody in my circles claimed to be voting one way or the other and then you know we get the result that we get and you're like oh okay (laughs) how's that actually happening then so I don't know I don't know I don't know who who was actually stockpiling it can't be you can't be me it must be somebody else yes the other You're listening to the business community on Calon FM and in this section of the show we're sharing books this week and my book actually it's a more of a convoluted route to this book that I want to just explain. So I saw um, an article in the Guardian last week um, it was entitled Amsterdam um, is using the donut model to mend post-coronavirus and uh, I was quite intrigued because the book Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth has been on my to read list for a long, long time, probably two years now. And so I thought, right, I'm going to finally do this thing. I'm finally going to read the book. However, I didn't immediately read the book because I got lost down a rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, no, so I read really? the article. Yep. <laughs> Who'd have guessed it? And it involved a TED talk as well. So let me explain. This article talks about how British economist Kate Rayworth, so she's the lady who authored the book, and she also works for Oxford University's Environmental Change Institute, has been working with um, the city of Amsterdam on how they can actually change their economic model post-COVID-19. And they're using the donut model that she devised as a guide for what it means for people and cities and countries to thrive in balance with the planet. Okay, so the key thing here is in balance. And essentially, the model is, is like you imagine the donut, the outer ring of the donut represents the limit, the ecological limit. Um, which highlights the boundaries across which humans should not go. So um, where you would damage climate and soil and oceans and ozone layer and water and biodiversity. So the outer ring of the donut is don't go beyond here because you're going to break the planet. And then on the inner circle is, um, is, is sort of the basic human needs And then the bit in between the two rings is the good stuff, the dough, it says. Oh, yeah. Everyone's needs and that of the planet are met. So you're looking to be working within the good stuff, the doughy bit. Okay. It's really quite interesting in that um, 
Amsterdam of actually going to use this as a starting point for making public policy decisions. And the central premise is that the goal of economic activity should be about meeting the core needs of all, but within the means of the planet. So within that ring, within that mm -hmm. donut. And um, Ray, um, Kate Rayworth has worked with the city of Amsterdam to actually scale down the model because she was talking about uh, macroeconomics and uh, on a world scale when she was writing the book and she's scaled it down to a city level and 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 they're going to work on that basis so that's all that the article said so I was okay and I, I then followed a link from there to a TED talk Glory be a TED talk. So <laughs> way back in 2014, now bear in mind that her book was published in 2017. She did a TED talk, a TEDx talk in Athens. It's 17 minutes long. It's had 165,000 views and it's entitled Why It's Time for Donut Economics. And she says at the start of the talk, I'm going to show you in three minutes what they never tell you in three years at university. And, and does she? She does, yeah. She, essentially, she boils it down to four fundamental flaws. One, the economy is not floating in a white background. So a lot of the diagrams of economics she talks about, they're there set on a nice white page. And, and sort of in splendid isolation. And she says that it, the economy is actually deeply embedded in the environment. And the fundamental flow is not money, it's energy from the sun, which fuels life. So the second flaw, which we've talked about last week when we were talking about who cooked Adam Smith's dinner, another fundamental flaw is that not all work is paid. Okay. Yeah, so caring, parenting, family life, volunteering, etc. The third floor is a lot of the value we recreate re doesn't get monetized. And here she talks about collaboration, working together, collaborative commons, that sort of thing, how you work together to get things done. But actually, you don't do it for money. And then the fourth fundamental flaw is that ordinary households have seen their income stagnate and that there's a massive gulf between local business and global business and that we've seen um, that wealth has been turned into power so in in this short 17 minute talk she talks about what if economies didn't start with money but started with human well-being and also recognising that our well-being depends on our planetary home. So we go back to that idea of the donut. So um, she suggests, what if we asked ourselves, how does the way that I live, eat, shop, travel, vote, volunteer, bank, how does that affect humanity's ability to come into the donut? And then she poses the question, what if each business considered the same? And then what if each government did the same? And, and with a final reference back to Adam Smith and rational economic man, um, then she says that actually she thinks that today's economy is 300 times bigger than the one that Adam Smith knew all those years ago. And what, what's happening now is that we're banging into the biosphere, we're banging into the outer edge of that donut, and it's having an impact on us. She reckons that Adam Smith the guy whose writings we're all following dogmatically now, if he was asked now, he'd actually encourage us to take the next step. And, and he'd, he'd say that economic thinking needs to 
um, keep up with the times. So that, that was the TEDx talk and the article. So I've already got a long way without even reading the book. Then the next thing is a YouTube video. Now this takes a bit more commitment, Heather. This is one hour, 28 minutes. Oh, no, I'm not doing <laughs> okay. it. And it's only had 8,000 views. So compare that to the 165,000 views for the 17 minute TEDx talk. But if you're really interested, then Kate Rayworth is talking about the, the, um, the donut model in here. Um, and, and here is the first time I've seen her described as a renegade economist. I like mm. the sound of that, a renegade mm. economist, exploring the economic mindset needed to address the 21st century's social and ecological challenges. So then we get on to the book, right? So I wasn't going to commit to actually buying the book straight away. So having made my way piecemeal towards this book, which has been on my wish list for a long time, I actually uh, got a sample um, on my Kindle and I read through a 622 page sample. It's a big book anyway. So the sample <laughs> is 622 pages. Um, Kindle pages that is and I don't have my tech small so you know it, it's yeah. not that big and um, and I what I want to report back is on the back of re having read the article having watched the TEDx and having read the sample I've actually now purchased the actual book and I, I would recommend it if anybody's interested in understanding more that maybe you go down a similar route see if you like the TEDx maybe move on to the one and a half hour talk have a look to the sample and if you're still interested then get the book and that's what you've done that's what i've done yeah you've gone on that whole journey i have and i i was interested enough in it to know that i wanted to own the book well that and um, i mean that's that's the beauty of being able to sample something isn't it is that you think well because how much is the book in in its entirety um the the book in its entirety is is close to 20 quid i've bought the kindle version though which right, was only okay. 4.99 so to be honest it's better okay. for the the amount of material that's in there yeah yeah excellent excellent well i've not uh, got donuts in my um my discovery for this week um more's the pity <laughs> <laughs> but um it, it's interesting isn't it because at the moment you, a, a lot of people are you know based at home working at home their day has changed their business might have scaled down a little bit um and so i thought i'd flag up a book that um that i've had for a while now and i've dipped in and out of um but not really implemented any of the things consciously implemented any of the things that i found and it's from the the, the four dummies range um there's you know there's everything for, for dummies isn't there um this is marketing for dummies um written by a lady called Jeanette McMurty and um essentially it, it this is an updated version that has taken on board digital marketing and social media etc and what it does is it, it shows you how to find um find a target audience reach with reach out to them and then engage with them in a way that will bring you in business uh, it encourages you to think and it poses lots of questions and asks you to think um, you know who are these people like who are they really um, and where where do they hang out and what do they care about what motivates them and looking at the way that people behave 
uh, and the, the way that people respond to things, how you can test and trial uh, to hone your marketing skills. And um, they talk uh, about turning um, web visibility into traffic, reaching, reaching the right people at the right time, deciding on a marketing plan that will suit any budget, um, and how to source content um, and how to connect with your community. Um, it's, I mean, I quite like the dummies books because the the, lay, the layout is easy. Um, there's lots of diagrams. There's lots of examples. There's lots of lots of. If you read nothing else, read this bit. You know, so it's it's quite good for um, working your way through. Uh, but for example, what they talk about podcasts and using podcasts as a marketing tool. Um, and of course, you know, here we are um, making a radio show, which we now podcast um, and and use that, you know, to promote ourselves in our own uh, working lives. So things that you might not, you might think, oh, I could never do that. They explain them quite simply and uh, encourage you to, to give it a go. So uh, that's my that's my discovery for this week. It's Marketing for Dummies by Jeanette McMurtry. Have you got the hard copy of that, Heather? I have, yes, I have. Oh. Uh, it is available on Kindle, uh, but it's just, these books are the sort of books that I like to scribble in. Um, and I, I never do that well. But this is more like an exercise, uh, like, a, um, like a textbook, you know, at school, you know, where book. you work your way through yeah. a workbook. Yes, there we go. Um, rather than a read this and then go away and do something, uh, work your way through it. So uh, yeah, yeah, I have the book. Our profile this week is of a guy who, whose, whose business name must have been banded around more in the last few weeks than, than ever before. Um, we've talked about using information sharing apps, and different file sharing platforms and the one that we've mentioned a couple of times is slack uh, and believe it or not this was set up by somebody who didn't set out to set up slack um, but their business has grown and gone a bit bonkers um, as a result of the coronavirus as much as anything his name is Stuart Butterfield um, he was born in 1973 he's the Canadian billionaire businessman and he is best known or was best known um, for setting up the website Flickr uh, remember Flickr yeah photo sharing website yeah yeah before Instagram um, yeah so he he, he set that up uh, with another guy uh, and that business was hugely successful and then things moved on to the devising of the application slack which came about kind of by accident because of a failed another failed business yeah so um, actually his first business flicker was accidental as well so, oh, I'd missed that okay yeah that was the result of a failed business but they they took the, the bits of the failed business that were working and which became Flickr. Um, he described it as a treasure chest, treasure chest of innovation. So the same happened with Slack, did it? 
Yeah, um, it's essentially they uh, the the business that they set up. They were they were into they were big into gaming. Ah, game um, for ending. I've seen mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it was born out of you know the ability to play games across the internet. Yeah. So you know you have you have that sharing of um, files. I can't remember the name of the guy who he set it up with, but anyway, essentially between them, they came up with this platform, and um, and and it's massive. So I saw an article on uh, Forbes website, which was talking about the impact of the coronavirus on Slack. And it, it seems that the, the impact, rather understandably, has been quite impressive. Um, he actually put this out as a thread on Twitter, um, just describing how things were changing. And it seemed like rapid change in the business. Um, but the average active usage on a given weekday is a, a billion minutes. And the company added 9,000 new customers. And the number of simultaneously connected users jumped from 10.5 million to 12.5 million in the space of a few days, from the 16th to the 25th of March. So, yes, indeed, there's there's been some significant surge in use of Slack and there will be with all the other things out there as well. So we've talked before about how um, Slack and Teams are very similar and that there's all sorts of other um, challenger businesses coming out now. But I know I'm working from home and my whole company uses Teams. And we've never used Teams as much as we have over the last few weeks. So it will be the same for the companies who already have Slack embedded in their culture and for the ones well, he- who come into it as well. Absolutely. In fact, um, just this week, he um, is reported as saying that uh, if Microsoft is such a competitive threat to Slack, as it claims it is, um, we would not have grown in sales um, and and a million uh, customers. So he's positioning himself as, you, you look, you know, Teams is great, but um, we're not, you know, we're chomping at, at your heels it's uh, it really surprised me doing this research into Stuart Butterfield because the the articles about Slack um, they they imply that Slack is seen as uh, a benefit to employment. So when, when uh, adverts are, are are placed for um, certain companies, one of the things that they mention is we use Slack, and that is a, yeah. that's going to attract potential employees. So that that really surprised me. And not something I would have considered as being an important feature of a job, but clearly is for some people. Otherwise, they wouldn't mention it. He also, um, possibly arrogantly, I don't know, he says that um, he says Microsoft, Microsoft has made a huge push over the last three years with a free service. But can you find a single Slack enterprise customer who was switched to Teams? So he's he he is suggesting that people are migrating from microsoft to slack rather than the other way because slack does everything that you would want um so and i don't think i think they'll still be arguing you know till the cows come home this is this is very topical of the moment um but there's no denying this guy you know knows how to run a business knows how to come up with an idea and knows how to monetize it um and he's he's done that twice very successfully hence him being a billionaire 
Can I just share something that really stood out for me? <laughs> Go on. You, you, I, you might find this one amusing. So his, um, the name he was given at birth is not Stuart. Uh, he actually right. changed his name at the age of 12. He was born Dharma Jeremy Butterfield, and he changed his name to Stuart, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, at the age of 12. Uh, he's later said that he wished he'd chosen a better name, but there you go. Now, I'd just like to share this very personal bit of information, is that I, too, changed my name to Stuart at the age of four, with that exact you... spelling, S-T-E-W-A-R-T. Okay. That's a well, revelation to you, isn't it, Heather? Okay. I'm sure you didn't do it by deed poll or no, um, statutory declaration. No, but I didn't respond to anybody talking to me if they called me Tracy. You, okay. Well, that, that, that could be really confusing because my husband's called Stuart and I've never noticed um, when we've been in each other's company that I've said Stuart and you've turned around. But when did you stop going by the name of Stuart? Uh, probably a matter of hours. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't really understand uh, or remember um, my thinking at the time although i can probably hazard a guess is that i was brought up in um in a cul-de-sac and all of my friends in that cul-de-sac were boys uh. and so i perhaps just wanted to be part of that gang or maybe i'd already recognized quite early on that boys got a lot further than girls in the 1970s <laughs> well that'll sure. probably explain why you're not worth 1.69 billion dollars <laughs> and I should Daniel have kept the name Stuart. Stuart. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Anyway, all in all, he looks like quite an interesting chap. Um, I remember going to a talk about a guy, a, a talk was being given by a guy who used to work at Flickr. Um, and I was trying to remember one of the key messages, but it hasn't come back to me. But it it sounded like the inception of that business was fairly interesting um so yeah he's obviously he's an entrepreneur there's no two ways about it yeah i had a look at leadership styles as well so i did a quick search for leadership styles of stuart butterfield and i, I came across an article which referenced um three leadership lessons from stuart butterfield uh, number one is repeat the company vision ad nauseam he says the most okay. important thing a leader can do is to make sure that the whole organization understands the company's vision, priorities and goals. And repeat the message until you are sick of hearing it, uh, until you are sick of hearing yourself talking about it, he says. Okay. The number two is invest in your own growth. Um, he says um, that most people are not natural managers, but everybody can improve their management skills. And if the company scales as quickly as Slack scaled, its leaders need to scale equally fast. And such growth is only possible if you're self-aware about your strengths and weaknesses. And his third uh, piece of advice is surround yourself with the best team. I mean, these are the things we've heard all the time, aren't they? And, and people that do really well hire a great team around them. Um, Stuart is no exception. He says that um, it helps that he is a very good recruiter. 
and they they also made the decision very early on with slack that they wanted to have one of the most diverse workplaces um, long before diversity was on the radar for most companies they've been working hard to cultivate diversity and they feel that as a result they've increased their talent pool many times so and and this is also nice because if you're in this team I think this is very flattering. He says that Slack have built a team that most companies could only dream about. So I think I'd like to be part of a team that was described in that way. Yeah, totally. There's an interesting article that, and I'll put a link to it on our, our website, thebusiness.community, uh, an interview that he gave to Bloomberg. Uh, and it's about him so his business has grown exponentially at a time when he is working from home because he's using his own platform uh, and but he's talking about his experience as an employer with a booming business where you're you know you're basically trying to keep all of these plates spinning at a time when you're having to change the way in which you're working and it's quite an interesting article just in terms of how he's staying engaged with his staff what's concerning them what's concerning him so i think any business owner whether you're a billionaire or whether you're running a small business um will 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 find some common ground with what he's talking about um, you can either read it or listen to it uh, but i'll put a link on the website so do join us again next week for the business community on Calon fm You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.